I, I think that there are varieties of calling and we yeah. tend to use the word calling as a theological uh, way of speaking about ordained ministry, but everybody has a calling. Uh, I, I think it's important for everybody to look at life through this lens of what are you really called to do? And I think that we all have them. Welcome to the Break the Chains, Find Your Flame podcast. My name is Steve Wopolinik. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and one of the founders of the Promethean Project. Our guests are people who have broke the chains of their limitations and found the strength of their potential. We offer their stories as inspiration and as guidance to help others navigate their quest to find their flame. Welcome back to another episode of the Break the Chains, Find Your Flame podcast. As always, your host, Steve Opolinik here. Today's episode is episode 60, and our guest today is Father Tim Skank. In the podcast, very early on, we jump around between topics and conversations, but the main heart of what we talk about is how to make faith approachable and how to have guidance in your life without necessarily taking yourself too serious. And we do talk a lot about how the relationship with community, the relationship with a higher calling speaks to you and how to follow that voice. The conversation goes in many different ways that you might not expect with a guest who is a priest. And it's very enjoyable. And Tim does a great job of talking about faith and spirituality in a way that is not off-putting and is accepting to all walks of life. So I'm really excited to have this episode aired and I'm really excited for y'all to listen to it. Here's Tim. In a world where humanity's potential is imprisoned and locked away, our only hope is to break the chains and find our flame. Welcome to the podcast, Tim. How are you today? I am fantastic. Thank you. I got my coffee here. Uh, it's good to see you. There's a chill in the air and away we go. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the holiday season in New England. Crisp and coffee. I got some rubbish tea here. I was going to try to get coffee, but it hasn't been agreeing with me. So you got some uh, tea. Sorry to hear that. All yeah. right. And you're drinking it out of a mason jar, which is very uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Western Mass looking. Very, yeah, very Western Mass looking, a, a little bit of an issue when I'm counseling because I go through too much liquid, <laughs> so I've yeah. had to cut back a little bit, but I, I think I can do an hour and not not have to worry too much about running Excellent. off to the bathroom. So. Plus, it kind of looks like moonshine when you drink out of that, so <laughs> it that's does. the other issue. You wanna, uh, a funny thing is when I drink green tea, or uh, sometimes I put matcha in here, and mm -hmm. some mm -hmm. clients will ask me if I'm drinking pee or swamp water yeah that's and exactly what you're doing yeah. yeah i always i always ask them well what does that mean for you you're coming to me for therapy and you're thinking i'm drinking pee that's <laughs> is a little bit weird there you know yeah 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 here's some advice that's right right i drink pee so i know what to do <laughs> yeah. it's a good way to start off the podcast talking about uh, drinking pee and everything of that nature so. absolutely absolutely who wouldn't want to listen to more of this yeah i'm really excited for any of your followers to take a listen to this now it's like there's five minutes of talking about pee at the beginning so yeah right it's good so tim i know you um from from brenna and we've spent some time together we've run some races together um but i'm wondering if you could give yourself an introduction to uh, our listeners uh, just a brief summary of who you are and kind of what sure. you do and your passions and then uh, we'll get in more to a conversation around that Excellent. Happy to do that and, and really glad to, to be here. So thanks for inviting me oh, onto yeah. the podcast, Steve. So 
Uh, my name is Tim Skank. I am the rector, which means, which is a fancy church word for uh, head pastor of the Episcopal Parish of St. John the Evangelist in Hingham, Massachusetts. And I've been here for 13 years. Hingham's on the South Shore of, of Boston. And before that, I served parishes in New York and Baltimore. And so I've been at this for, boy, about 21 years or so. And I am very passionate about um, a couple things. First of all, coffee, um, but, but that's, that's secondary. Um, the primary thing is simply sharing the good news of, of faith in creative ways with, um, with people and, and making faith interactive and fun and, um, and profound. So that, that's kind of what I do. Um, I'm big on social media. I, and I, I don't mean that I'm, I'm a big, uh, You're <laughs> I'm big, big on deal. social media. I, that's, not what I, that's not what I mean. Um, but I, I mean that I, uh, I embrace social media and, um, and, and now during the pandemic, hybrid worship and doing things um, in, in some creative, fresh, new ways. And so this time is certainly broken open a lot of things in society and, and certainly broken open some things in the church. So that's, uh, that's me. I, let's see, what else? Uh, as you alluded to, my wife, Brenna worked with you. In fact, I think that, I think that, uh, Steve, you may have been her, one of her first work spouses. Yeah, <laughs> I think yeah. I was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we had a whole and, work family. I had a godmother and a sister, work sister. Uh, yeah, that sounds, like a dis that sounds like a dysfunctional family to me. Yeah, but it definitely was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, but that's, that's of course, how, how we got to meet. And uh, let's see. Also, dogs. Big, big dog person. And we just adopted. So we have two dogs now. We have Cooper, who's about three, and Daisy Duke who is about six months and they're actually both rescues from Tennessee. I don't know what it is about Tennessee, but, um, but they're here. So Daisy is going to be experiencing her first winter in new England. So that's something uh, for dogs. We, I feel like. Uh, yeah, I, you know. I, of course. And, and, you know, she's a, she's a tiny little thing. She's basically a glorified cat in some ways, but um, I've never had a dog this small, but of course we have a sweater for her. So if only, you know, so I have this tiny little dog wearing a sweater. She's got daisies on her collar. It's like this pink and gray sweater. And I walk her around town and I just think if only my old army buddies could see me now. Right. It is, it's quite a look. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think that's a, uh... Before we go further, I just want to say, uh, I don't know if you and I ever connected, but I wanted to say uh, my condolences on Delilah. She was a fantastic dog. Oh, thank you. Yeah, away, this but... is our, yeah, this is our, our, uh, our dog, Delilah, who, boy, she was 18. She was a lab husky mix and the ultimate church dog. She would, yeah. she would come to come to the office, come to services with me during the week and just uh, an amazing spirit, and um, eighteen years is a long. That's a time really for a long big time. Dog. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so now you have uh, Daisy Duke with a gray and pink sweater. Did you buy the yep. sweater, or was that a Brenna thing? Oh, what do you think? No, I did not <laughs> buy the pink, the pink and gray sweater. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Great. No, I'm just the one that has to walk her wearing the sweater. But it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. It's all good. All I think good. you should get a matching sweater, and then it will be more about <laughs> you taking taking ownership of people paying uh -huh. attention. Is like, yeah. So what? We yeah, match. yeah. If only uh, Halloween didn't already pass. <laughs> well, maybe next year. I'll I'll uh, plant maybe. some seeds when Brenna listens to this, and you'll expect it probably by Christmas. Is having uh -huh. a matching yeah. sweater. Uh -huh. yeah, that's, yeah, that's great. Thanks, Steve. That's great. Can we end this now? <laughs> no no there's way more we need to get into oh okay so you, so you did reference uh being in the army in the past and so how do you like i'm just curious about going from being in the army to being a pastor and, and kind of having a clergy and what were the steps in between that kind of 
led you to creating. And I, one of the things I did want to highlight is just how creative you are in, in bringing faith into, um, you know, social media, but also just in a day-to-day kind of fashion where it doesn't seem to just be pounding you in the head. It was more mm-hmm. creative mm-hmm. And, and intriguing. And uh, my wife, Jess, and I have always talked about how um, if we were still out in that area that, you know, that's kind of what we're looking for to, mm. to raise our daughter in is like this open community where faith and spirituality can really be shared without it having to be. Uh, so yeah. I guess archaic yeah, no, would be the, the way. No, I, I, I totally get that. I mean, I, I think faith has to be invitational. It can't be a bludgeon. Yeah. Um, and, and so often, I mean, frankly, if, if the only thing that I knew about uh, say the, the Christian faith in particular uh, was what I read in the newspapers or saw in the headlines, I wouldn't be a Christian. I mean, it, it comes across as uh, judgmental and, um, and holier than thou. And it's, um, it's really a shame because to me, that's not what this is all about at right. all. And so I, I really do think that there's a um, sort of a twisted Christianity out there that um, that is very prevalent, and so a lot of what I do is seeking to um, to offer a counter narrative to that in, in in my own ministry and and sharing ways in which primarily God is a loving, inviting God who um, is with us not because we're perfect but because we stumble and and we're and our lives are messy and all of that and yet even despite all that. God is very much still in our lives and, and, and present. So, so that's that piece. The, the army piece is um, that's that's an interesting jumping off point. It's um, it's funny. I I sometimes wonder, okay, God, why uh, exactly? What was that about? So I did our army ROTC in college, and I ended up in the reserves. So I, the, the longest I ever did at one stretch on, on active duty was four months. So I was at Fort Knox. I was trained as a tank platoon leader. I've, um, I'm, I went through airborne school. I don't like heights at all, but I decided because I don't like heights, I really should uh, jump out of airplanes. So I, yeah. uh, so I'm trained as a paratrooper as well. And um, build that window of tolerance, you know, so, uh, yeah, well, let's it, expand it, it a little bit more. I, I like it. That's, uh, that must be a, a therapist phrase. <laughs> it is, it I is. like it. I like it. Okay. I'm always learning things. And so, uh, but I, but I do wonder exactly what it was about. And, and I think some of it was uh, for, for me, this, this sense of wanting to give something back of wanting to serve in some capacity. And, and before it really found its voice in ordained ministry, um, that, that seemed like a, a particular path for me. And I will say that the army was great in terms of friendships that I made. I'm still very close with some folks from, from that time in my life, even if they judge me perhaps walking around with a tiny little dog in a pink and gray sweater, but that's okay. I also, um, I also think that it is something that taught me some good management skills, leadership skills, all of, all of those things are, are important um, in, in what I do now. And, and frankly, uh, being a tank platooner, platoon leader, being trained that way comes, sometimes comes in very handy in parish ministry. <laughs> so, um, that was a joke, um, mostly. <laughs> mostly. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that was in between um, things for me was was just was just sort of uh, a, an important part of my life. But what I really what I did initially when I got out of college is I was always really interested in political campaigns, and I I was never never one to run for office. That was always like the, the last thing that I would ever want to do in the entire world. It still is uh, the last thing that I would ever want to do. But I was really drawn to the, I don't know, when I was a kid, I would watch political conventions. And, and what did it look like? It looks like a sporting event. You know, you have yeah. teams and you have people dressing up and they're cheering. And there was, there, there was this, this spirit of uh, coming together that was that was uh, 
really enticing for me. And so I ended up volunteering on a lot of political campaigns during high school and stuffing envelopes and knocking on doors and all that kind of stuff. And 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 trying to again this, this theme of service, trying to give something back in in some ways and, and serve in some ways. And so I majored in political science uh, for whatever that's worth in college. And I got out and I ran, worked on and ran political campaigns for about four years and worked in California, New York, Maryland. Um, and it's a it's a crazy it's a crazy field. You get a tremendous amount of responsibility at a young age because everybody burns out. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's that's one thing about it um, and it's campaigns are interesting it's, it's almost like um, opening and shutting down a small business in a very short period of time so I always um, I like the adrenaline of it it was 24 7 it was crazy uh, but at a certain point I recognized I, I that I couldn't I couldn't just keep doing that I, I, I sort of looked at some of the people that were still in the business as they were um, much older. And I was kind of thinking, you know, I, I don't, I don't know that I want to be that. Um, and, and what I mean by that, it's not that these were particular, that, that these were bad people or anything, but it's the whole outlook of not looking at, at people, other people as, as, as from a spiritual perspective, as fellow children of God, but looking at them as stepping stones to the next thing. And I didn't want that. And so getting out of that field, and and it's hard to leave something when you are, you know, you're, you're good at it. You've had some success at it Um, so often. And I think in some ways, this is the greatest sin is identifying who we are with what we do. um, Because that's not, that's not healthy. It's a great temptation. We all do it to, to right. some degree. But uh, it was getting out of it was so getting out of it was hard, but it also coincided with this sense of call to ordain ministry. And I grew up in the Episcopal Church. When I was in fifth grade, I thought that I wanted to be a priest. And this lasted, this revelation lasted for about a week until I recognized that, wait a minute, if I was going to be a priest, I would have to get up in front of people and talk. Right. And as right, a yeah. shy and as a shy kid, I was like, there is no way I am doing that. So I like to think that the sense of call was always sort of there, but it just went latent for a uh, for a very long time. That's good. I also, as a young kid, wanted to be a priest. And really? Yeah. Uh, I haven't really shared that with anyone, but my older sister's friends used to harass me all the time about it because my older sister is. Uh, four years older than me and so like right when I was probably around eight or nine and talking about yeah I want to be a priest I want to you know because I was an altar server and I really felt connected to this message of service like you were talking about and and being there and I remember my sister's friends were like 13 or 14 and they just kind of harassed me about it endlessly and then they're like well you can never have sex then (laughs) and and I was like like, I'm eight or nine what are you talking about yeah I don't know and uh just over over time I think I I kind of grew to love the the idea of service but um Mm -hmm. I think that did push me off a little bit from being a priest (laughs) yeah not the sex part the harassment part was really yeah no I, I I get it um you know it's um uh, there, there are other other faith traditions where, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a priest and yeah. yet I'm married. And so, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so Brenna, who grew up in the in the Catholic Church, yeah. um, but, but, but and was an altar girl, unless the bishop was in town. Um, but I think it's safe to say that uh, growing up Roman Catholic, going to Catholic school, her childhood fantasy was not to marry a priest. And yet, and here, here she is. But I, but to the, the other point that you made, I, I think that there are varieties of callings, and we yeah. tend to use the word calling as a theological uh, way of speaking about ordained ministry, but everybody has a calling. Mm-hmm. And you are clearly, in, in your work, um, you've followed a calling, and, and you are 
helping people and serving people and being with people and working with people. And that's a, that's a very high calling indeed. And so I, I really, uh, I, I think it's important for everybody to look at life through this lens of what are you really called to do? And I think that we all have them and, you know, and, and a, a sense of call may or may not be your vocation. It may not, yeah. it may not be what puts food on the table, um, but it may be. And, and when it does this, when it does, there is a synergy when, when it is, um, but it doesn't have to be. Right. Yeah. No, no, thank you for that. And I do, and I agree with you. Like, I do think, you know, this idea of a calling is often uh, attributed to spirituality or something of that nature. Mm-hmm. But I think it, individually it's, it's there for everyone. It's just what kind of gives you um, this passion or this connection right. to what you do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just noticed you have, you're using that uh, smart cup that you got recently, right? Yeah. Is that what so you're was, rocking right now for your coffee? Yeah. So, so it was recently my, uh, my birthday and my family, um, knowing me well, thought that I might like this. Uh, hold on, I'm going to take a sip. Mm-hmm. Mm. So th- they got me this, um, it's a smart mug and it is something that is a, that's life-changing. So I can pour my coffee and then there's an app on my phone where I can control the temperature of the mug. So I have determined that I like my coffee, not to be too persnickety about it, but I like my coffee at 127 degrees. Okay. So uh, rather than it, uh, rather than, you know, and I, so I, I I love good coffee. So it's not, I'm not about the the quality. I'm not about the quantity. I'm about the quality. Right. So, um, but sometimes, so as I, as I nurse a beautiful cup of coffee, sometimes it will get, it'll cool down and maybe I won't finish it. But uh, this way uh, it stays at 127 degrees and I can just enjoy it. Uh, I can talk to you and I can enjoy my coffee and I can take another sip and it's still 127 degrees. And so it's totally. out of your mind. You don't have to worry about it. Yeah. And I can control this with my phone, which is amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. So if I decide I want to go to 128, I could do that. But I'm if sticking you, with 127. If you're feeling a little jumpy, you know, <laughs> you kind of mm-hmm. kick it up a notch. Maybe I should yep. try to get them as a sponsor for this. This. Oh, episode. that's great. Well, this yeah. this uh, particular this is called Ember, and Ember. it has a little charge. Yeah, a little charging station that I set it on, and then uh, now, so it's fully charged. And now I so now I can come up to my office with my coffee at 127 degrees. Brilliant. I love that. Uh, so we <laughs> we got sidetracked with with Ember and. And the uh, <laughs> amazingness of 127 degrees coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as, if we're backtracking a little bit, we were talking yep. about what, what led you to kind of um, go in that life. And then obviously, you know, we talked about the differences in how you grew up in faith and how your wife grew up in faith and like the different, um, you know, dogmatic laws and things of, of that thing that that come with different spirituality and different religions, mm-hmm. um, making that jump from politics to religion. And you've been with Brenna for a while. So she was on that ride with you as well. How, mm-hmm. when you were talking about that, how did, how did that kind of go over? Cause it's an interesting conversation. I don't think it necessarily would have to be a crazy conversation in, at all, but I think it would be an interesting insight to kind of see how do you, communicate with a partner about such a change in lifestyle yeah yeah so uh, so we had um so the the church has always been a part of my life so even when i was doing campaigns i mean i the the hours were crazy so all i could do was basically race into an an early service on a sunday morning and get back to it uh, which which is fine in, at one level, but it's also not a way of really being in a community. And so I would do that wherever I was working and living, and that would feed me to a degree, but what was missing was, was the sense of community around that. And, and I think that that's such an important piece of faith as well. So, um, but when we were, um, let's see, we were in, in Baltimore, we, we got engaged, we were in Baltimore, we had been going to uh to a church together and worshiping together 
But at a certain point, once I got out of uh, politics uh, and, and I had this, I made that break and it was a hard, hard break. So I finally had time to think for the first time in really a long time. And so what I did when I was trying to figure things out is I, I worked for a, um, for a contractor. So I was, I, I like to sometimes uh, say that my sense of uh, this, this resurgence of this sense of call came out of a paint can because I was, I was, you know, I was just on a ladder and I was painting stuff and it, it just started to, the, the, this idea of priesthood and ordained ministry popped into my head and I, I sat with it for a while. This is, this is what I do. So I kind of, it was kind of in my head and bubbling up and, um, and I, I went into my priest's office and I said, I'm feeling something. Can we talk? Now, six years later, I was ordained a priest. There's a whole process. In, in the Episcopal Church, you can't just decide you're going to be a priest and, and, and go be one. The, the community also has to, you have to explore this sense of call. The community has to affirm the sense of call. And ultimately, the bishop has to say, oh, okay, uh, yes, I see this call. And we're going to uh, let you go on to seminary. So it's a, it's a long it's a long process. But uh, along the way, I remember I, I, Brennan and I were engaged at the same time, at, at the time. And I was like, okay, it was, it built up in my head until to the point that I felt that, okay, I needed to talk to her obviously about this. And, um, and so I remember we went out to dinner. I, I, I took her to a public place. <laughs> so, so we, uh, we were talking and I shared this, I shared what was really in my heart. Um, and she, at first, it's funny to hear her talk about it. Cause at first she was like, uh, all she could, all she could think about, even though we'd been worshiping in the Episcopal church and she knew Episcopal priests get married, all this kind of thing. Um, the, the minute I started talking about priesthood, she reverted back to her Catholic upbringing. And she was like, Oh, Oh my God, he's telling me this is off. He's, you know, and then, and then she says, well, I'm not giving back the ring. But she didn't see this is what she was thinking. Um, <laughs> and, and then uh, and then she realized, oh, no, wait, okay. And, uh, and we started talking about it. And, um, and she was just incredibly supportive, mostly because she saw it. She was like, oh, yeah, okay. So this isn't what I necessarily uh, had signed up for, you know, when, when we were together we you know this is this campaign guy um but she saw it and and you know before that evening was over you know she she was like look this is if this is a calling i I'm, i can't stand in the way of that and i and i i see that in you and so she's been a real partner along the way through all of this and um it's not always it's not always an easy role to be um, a, a priest's wife, a rector's wife. Right. Um, there's a you know a little bit of a fishbowl thing, but um, she's uh, she's been incredibly supportive, and I couldn't ask for a better partner uh, to to walk this journey of life and faith with. So she's been great. That's awesome. All right, so I, I want to steer away from Bruna a little bit because it's going to go to her head what? if she's talked about too yeah, much, yeah, too yeah, much yeah, in yeah. the episode. So, uh -huh. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. and, and kind of going into what you were saying before when we were talking about like being creative and how you uh, kind of talk about faith and make it more community oriented and having it be an invitation. You know, you've done so much on that. You're like one of the only uh, priests that I know who are, is on Twitter. And not just on Twitter, mm -hmm. right? Like you're talking about being big on social media, but but like actually has a following and gets tweets reshared and you know um, taking a look at. And obviously, there's a, a negative side of that too, um, kind of putting mm -hmm. all that out there. Um, but you, you've also written many books, uh, "Dog in the Manger," "Holy Grounds," which is about coffee, which we we'll circle back to. Mm -hmm. um, what size are God's shoes? Dust bunnies in the basket. And then Father Tim's Church Survival Guide, uh, just to name a couple, right? Which is, I, I think, I'm looking at the cover right now. It looks like you in like army fatigues behind some some plants or like yeah, in a jungle a, setting. Yeah, that's a bizarre uh, cover. <laughs> so that was based that that book, uh, the Church Survival Guide, was basically just 
a bunch of um, insider church humor. It's like, well, okay, uh, what do I do with this? Oh, okay, let's see if anyone actually wants to wants to publish this, and and uh, someone did. So, yeah, there you go. Yeah, but but that's. I mean, it also goes. So first of all, I think you're a paladin. If if I want to get really geeky in mm. Dungeons and Dragons terms of just like this warrior of faith <laughs> almost just mm. like looking at the army paratrooping uh, tank leader all of that stuff so you fit really good in that moniker mm. of being a paladin um but I, I think even that cover you know there's some hilarity tied to it right um but my first reading of yours was dog in the major when that came out and mm. you know I, I i bought i bought some and then I, I sent some to my family for Christmas because I thought oh, thank you, you. great writer. It was fun and, and kind of incorporated this idea of faith. But again, in a way that, you know, growing up as a Catholic, I wasn't used to um, mm. with having some humor in it. And one of my favorite moments was when you were talking about wanting to ride around and with a BB gun and kind of shoot all those inflatable <laughs> like Christmas <laughs> um, de- lawn decorations. I think I, oh, I did buy you like a Nerf gun for that. Like as a Christmas yeah, gift, yeah. I think after I read yeah. that. Um, yeah. I, I couldn't find a BB gun. I really wanted to get you one. I'm <laughs> going to find it in short notes. Yeah, um, I probably, that's probably not a good look for me. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, but even that, and then, then you go a little bit further. I've seen some of your videos over COVID and, and how you talk about, um, you know, services and how you talk about community and, and what the church puts out there. But like, it's almost like, to me, almost like sketch comedy of the pairing between you. And I think, is it Jack that is? Yeah, works yeah my with? associate rector, Jack yeah. Clark, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just found myself like really captivated about those mm-hmm. interactions and how you talk about faith and community. And, and so I what obviously that comes naturally to you and it seems like it's a passion of yours Mm -hmm. but how do you sell that to your church or to the community Mm -hmm. and how do you how do you kind of bridge that gap of maybe um i know the community in general who may not have you know grown up in that same way and don't know what to expect but also Mm -hmm. has this like oh okay here's the person leading our our faith in the community and they're dropping these jokes yeah i i think um i think so much of what what you're talking about um it's got to be authentic I, I think authenticity is so important in life and in faith so i you know i try to be the same person whether i am in the pulpit or on twitter um, I mean, obviously, there's diff- there's differences and there's different mediums, and 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 certain things are are appropriate for one and and not for another. But um, I, I think that ultimately, you just have to be yourself, and it's not gonna who you are isn't gonna resonate with with every single person that you meet. And and I think finding some comfort in that it's okay. I mean, you can't please every single person. Um, so I think one of my sort of guiding principles of just or, or outlooks on life is I, I take my faith very seriously, but I don't take myself too seriously. And, um, you know, I, I, I can't imagine it any other way. I mean, the, the, to be human is to, is to mess up and to make mistakes and so humility is just if you can't embrace humility you're not going to get very far so i I think about it um in terms of i was i was thinking the other day actually i I wrote something about this recently in one of my i write a monthly column but um you know almost every day i walk down the street and whether it's with daisy duke and her pink and gray sweater or whatever it is i'm but i'm every day i'm walking dogs and at some point believe it or not, the dog takes a poop and I have to scoop it up with a brightly colored bag. And so I'm walking a dog or two and I'm carrying a bag of poop in the other hand. 
And if that can't keep you humble as you walk <laughs> around, you know, as you walk down Main Street carrying poop in a in a bag, I don't I don't know what can. I mean, when the um, when the kids were younger, it was you know it was changing diapers. And again, if you can't, I mean, so if if, if you're this is what you're doing with with your hands, right? You're you're changing diapers. You're you're carrying poop around, and yet these very same hands are also used to consecrate bread and wine at the altar in the name of Jesus Christ. And so there has to be this interplay between um, the holy and the everyday. And that's ultimately what I try to communicate in my life and, and, um, and share on social media. It's that, that God is present in the midst of all of this. And, and if we can't laugh at, at ourselves and as, and, and as some of the things that, uh, that, uh, that, that happen, the, the human foibles um, and, and mistakes, then uh, I, know, I know God's laughing. I hope God's laughing. Um, so that, that's, that's one of the, the drivers for, for me is just to, to shine a light on, on some of this and say, hey, we can be faithful holy uh, devotion-based people, but uh, we're not perfect and that's okay. God right. still loves us. And that's an, that's an amazing thing to recognize that God still loves us uh, even when we're, you know, walking around with a bag of poop down Main Street. <laughs> oh man, if I could encapsulate that into the title of the episode of the podcast, <laughs> that would be really good. That might be the teaser, though, because I do think it's a really important message because I think we we often individually get caught up in this idea of uh, needing to hit a certain level to get self-esteem. And then there's this inflated sense of self at times. And mm-hmm. you're right, like there's something humbling about changing a diaper. There's something humbling about following a four-legged friend and having to pick up their poop or, you know, whatever it may be, these small things that we don't really pay attention to, but it, it makes sense of like, oh, I'm still just this person who has to follow a dog and pick up poop. Right. And I think it's especially important for people in certain um, positions and certain leadership positions. You you know, once, once clergy start believing their own hype and pointing to themselves rather than pointing to God, then there's, there's a problem mm. with this. You know, we're, we're not the... Um, we're not the message here. You know, we're, right. we're pointing to something beyond ourselves. And that's just an important thing to remember. Yeah. I think it's also very intriguing because when, when you talk about that stuff, I, I feel like in certain faiths and, and religions, there is this um, idea of, oh, okay, like this is morally wrong and you're not allowed or like you were against this when in reality, everything mm-hmm. I've read that you've kind of posted seems to open it up and I'm like, no, we're all people. And so we all belong together and we're all, you know, the same. And I, I really like that concept of equality that, that you put out wow. there. Mm-hmm. Thank you. All right. Let's talk about coffee. Oh, good. <laughs> uh Holy, the Holy Grounds is on my list to purchase. I have not read it yet. I think mostly because I had to give up coffee. So I was like, ah, I don't know if I, yeah. if I need to feel like I need to drink coffee with that. Um, but can you tell me a little bit more about what led to that? And then, you know, how, how you came up with the idea and where sure. it came from? Sure. So the, the book is called Holy Grounds. And the subtitle is the surprising connection between coffee and faith from dancing goats to Satan's drink. And I, uh, three years ago, I went on a, I took a sabbatical, four month sabbatical. And I was thinking, okay, I gotta, I wanna do something on this sabbatical. I, I want to, it to have a focus. Um, I, I can't just, um, navel gaze for four months I just it's just not what I needed to do something and mm-hmm. and so I was sitting in my local coffee shop Red Eye Roasters here in Hingham which I refer to as my satellite office and I uh, well it's, it's a coffee shop it's where I get all my writing done and I've been doing this for years and years um, whether I was in New York at 
coffee labs, uh, roasters in Terrytown are, are up here. And so I, I write sermons, books, newsletter articles, whatever it is. I, I would never subject anyone to uncaffeinated sermon preparations and sermons. So, um, so anyway, I was sitting there thinking about this question. I thought, you know, I, I, I like, I like coffee. I like faith. Why don't I do something that combines these two things? And so I was, I put this proposal together and I was able to get a grant that, uh, allowed me to, to pursue these, this, uh, this intersection between coffee and faith. And there hadn't been, uh, there, there's 8 million books written about faith. There's 8 million books written about coffee, but there was nothing that was bridging the two in the way that I wanted to. And so this book came as a result, some of it's history, coffee history. So you don't even need to be a coffee drinker to enjoy the book. There's a lot of history embedded in this. And um, it was, coffee itself was discovered um, uh, by Muslims, and so it uh, it um, this is this apocryphal story about uh, dancing goats in ninth century uh, um, Ethiopia, and the story goes that uh, that there was a, a goat herder, and he uh, he he lost he, I don't know he took a nap or something, and he and he lost track of his goats. And he went up this hill to this clearing and suddenly these goats were dancing. And he was like, what, what is going on here? And he noticed that they were eating some, uh, some red berries. And so he put some into his pocket and um, he went back to the local, uh, the head of the, the monastery. He said, I, he, he was telling this crazy story. And the guy was like, uh, really? Okay. And, and they had these, these, these berries. And so he took them and he uh, and he boiled them up and he and he drank them and suddenly suddenly they could they could stay awake for longer periods of time. Of course, they were this was a coffee coffee plant. And so the story uh, goes that they first used coffee. That coffee was first used as a way for this religious community to stay awake for their night prayers. They used to always fall asleep, but now they could suddenly stay awake for their night prayers. And so this wow. intersection between coffee and faith was really from the inception. And so I explore it, how it goes through um, uh, the Islamic world where it first came out of to uh, the Christian world, to the Jewish communities. And, and so it, it's, a, it's a fascinating um, romp through all this. But one of the things that I was able to do with this grant is I was able to do some traveling. So besides research and history and all of that, I incorporated a number of experiences that, that I had along the way. So I was able to visit some coffee farms in Nicaragua and El Salvador. In fact, the coffee that I'm drinking right now is from a farm that, uh, that I visited in El Salvador, uh, Finca awesome. Paraiso, which, which means uh, Paradise Farm, as a matter of fact. But I, so, so my, um, my friend, uh, Mike Love, who uh, owns, he's kind of a coffee industry rock star. He runs Coffee Labs Roasters in Terrytown, New York. And I, I called him up and I said, Mike, so um, I, uh, I'm looking to go to visit a coffee farm somewhere. Uh, do you know of any coffee farms that, um, that, would, um, that would let me just come and kind of see the the whole operation and um and he said oh uh this spring i'm going down to uh nicaragua uh, to nicaragua and el salvador just come with me so i had this amazing behind the scenes tour with this guide who knows every he's he goes down to visit uh farmers that he has relationships with and and he does tastings because he's deciding which coffees he's going to buy yeah. uh, for the for the coming year and so it was just an incredible behind the scenes um, tour of this. And, and they were embedded in all of this. There's a lot of uh, social justice and environmental work uh, looking at the, at the coffee industry and, and the pickers who were at the, the lowest um, rung of this chain and, and how uh, fair trade coffee, how, how authentic fair trade coffee, how important that is because mm -hmm. 
um, you know, we, we don't, the, the chain to get from the hills of Nicaragua to a cup of coffee sitting on my desk are, um, it's, it's, it's an amazing journey. Um, but our, our purchasing power can really make a difference in the lives yeah. of, of, of farmers. So, so that, that, that's a whole piece of this as well. But so I, so visited coffee farms, went to visit, um, I went out to Seattle um and i got a tour of i mean you can't write about coffee without talking about starbucks which is kind of the green elephant in the room yeah and uh when it comes to the coffee industry so went out to starbucks headquarters and met some folks out there fascinating blend of coffee culture and corporate um culture uh, spoiler alert i don't actually like starbucks coffee i think they over roast it and mm -hmm. but that's a whole other topic <laughs> um I, and then i spent some time with some Orthodox monks uh, in the in the Poconos, uh, who uh, it's a it's a monastery, and they also they roast their own beans and they market it and sell it as burning bush coffee. And those guys were uh, amazing, and so was able to spend some time with them. And then went out. Actually, the whole family we went out to um, uh, to Rome, and were able to to get that whole side of it, the European piece, the espresso, all of that. So had a number of just amazing experiences along the way and was able to incorporate all of that into the book. So it's part history, part travelogue, part reflection, part um, uh, social justice side yeah. of, of the coffee industry. And it, uh, it was so much fun to, to write. And it was such a gift to have a dedicated chunk of time where I could work on that, um, right. you know, because it 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 uh, it took a lot of time um, and a lot of adventures to to pull it off. So that's great, awesome. I feel like we could talk about so so much more, but I want to be respectful of your time and know that you have uh, a schedule and a family. Um, oh, so yeah. I, I got a couple of questions. I know that. Um, mm -hmm. I usually end the podcast with these two questions. I know that we've already talked about how paladinish you are, but the, these last two questions are um, just some a reflecting piece. And so obviously you mm -hmm. can see the Captain America shield <laughs> behind yeah. me. Uh, so they're about superheroes. And so the first question is, if you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? And then the second question would be, um, what do you think your superpower actually is? Wow. Um, I don't know. I, I think that I would, uh, I would like to be invisible, um, would be my, my superpower. I just, maybe it's, maybe it's an introvert thing. I, I don't know, just kind of be able to, you know, sneak around and, and, uh, and, and, and hide a little bit. Um, uh, uh, I, I, and maybe it could, Maybe it could be something that's turn, just turned on and off. Maybe I have a ring or something. I, yeah. I don't know that you could just turn around or something so that uh, if you're in an uncomfortable situation, oh, you know what? Now I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> it helped so, with the Daisy Duke walking too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, then it would just like, <laughs> then it would just look, look like uh, yeah, a, a pink and gray sweater and a tiny thing walking down the street by itself. Um, with a bag of poop also just hanging in the air. Yeah, that, that would be good. Um, so that's, uh, that I think is my, uh, would be the superpower that I want. What is my actual superpower? It's probably, uh, I am able to leap tall buildings in a single bound, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm not. Um, I, I think that, um, I think it's being able to, shine a light on certain situations and through satire being able to 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 say something profound and and serious but with a light touch i'd agree with that it's very apropos thank you that's good so Anything that you're working on now or anything coming up that, that you're really excited to kind of put out there or share with anyone? Um, let's see. So one of the things that, that I do uh, every year is Lent Madness. 
<laughs> and uh, it, for, for folks who don't know what that is, it's a ridiculous de uh, online devotion that I started in 2010. And we take 32 saints, we put them into a bracket, like a NCAA basketball style bracket, and people learn about different saints, and then they vote, and the winner gets the golden halo. So it's, um, uh, it's a crazy thing. We just released the bracket for 2022 on November 3rd. So just recently, it's out there. So we still have like 118 or 117 days until this actually kicks off. But, um, but if you want a little bit of dose, uh, a little dose of inspiration during Lent and to have some fun along the way, uh, find, find us. LentMadness.org. It's a lot of fun. So that's that's uh, that's off in the future, but it's but it's going to be here before we know it. And then, can you remind everyone what the date is for by a priest of beer day, just so that <laughs> we can kind of put that out there for you? Yeah. So there is a um, there is something called International by a Priest a Beer Day, and uh, I I know it's it's on most people's calendars already, but if it's not on yours. It is September 9th. All right. So plenty of time to figure out what kind of beer you want to buy, Tim, uh, next year. Fantastic. Maybe we need like a, uh, I don't know what the six months, maybe we need like a halfway to that. I, I don't know. You yeah. can buy me half a, half a beer. Yeah. You, you could do it in like quarts and pints and things <laughs> of that nature, right? Like right. different, different sizes <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. or a flight sample or something like that. Perfect. Well, Tim, as always, it's, it's great to see you. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm so honored that you uh, graced us with your presence and you were able to come on today and talk with us a little bit about what makes you, you, your passions and, you know, just putting great, awesome advice out there. So thanks again for coming on. Well, Steve, this has been a, a great pleasure and thank you for, for doing this work and um, for just being such a good um conversationalist and talker and puller out of uh of people um just interesting stories so thank you thank you thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast if you or someone you know would like to be on the podcast, please outreach to us at info at thepromethianproject.org. If you want to learn more about the Promethean Project or if you would like to donate to our cause, you can reach us at thepromethianproject.org. If you really do enjoy this podcast, please share with your friends, like our posts on social media and Instagram and on Facebook. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or any podcast app that you like to listen to. Again, thank you for taking a listen. And remember that the most important step is always the next one.